Dear church family, I'm sure you're all familiar with the expression, everything happens for a reason. Maybe it's something you've said yourself, it's something that we would tend to say when maybe something goes wrong or something doesn't quite go in accordance to plan, we say everything happens for a reason. The question is, what is the hope in knowing that something happens for a reason when you don't quite know what that reason is? And if that reason is in your favor? But the passage that we wish to consider this morning does tell us that everything indeed does happen for a reason, a good reason and a good purpose. And our question this morning is this, what is that purpose, that purpose for everything? And how can believers draw comfort out of this? Our text this morning is from Romans 8, verse 26 to 34. And I could recommend keeping your Bibles open as we will work our way through this. And the theme is God's ultimate purpose for everything, with four points. First of all, God fulfilling His purpose in our spiritual weakness. Secondly, God fulfilling His purpose in life's circumstances. Thirdly, God fulfilling His purpose through our election. And fourthly, God fulfilling His purpose for Christ. And maybe the bulletin will show you the verses that are attached to each of these points. And maybe you're wondering why they're, um, they look like they're all over the place. But what we want to show in this sermon is that Paul is using a particular structure in this text. And it's one that's quite common. And what happens is that the emphasis of, what, of this passage is in the middle. And I would argue that is verse 29b as we see. But what happens in such a passage is that everything that leads up to this climax and everything that flows out of this climax often corresponds and complements. And we will see this as we go through this sermon. So what we're going to do is, as it were, scaling a mountain from two ends simultaneously to reach that climax. So that brings us to our first point, God fulfilling his purpose in our spiritual weakness. And we see this in our passage. We see that, first of all, the Holy Spirit is interceding with the believer in order to sanctify the believer. We read this in verse 26 where it says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps our infirmities, our weakness. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself makes intercession for us with groanings which which cannot be uttered. So why is is Paul speaking here about struggling in in prayer? Why is he speaking about infirmities, about weaknesses? And for this, we need to maybe briefly go back to the beginning of the book of Romans. And you see this progression. It starts with the problem of sin. And then it leads us to salvation in Jesus Christ. And then it goes on to the life of sanctification. And then in Romans 7, we read this this well-known passage of the struggle of the flesh against the spirit, the old man versus the new. But it culminates in the victory of Christ. And then when you start reading Romans 8, there's still a struggle. But it reflects back on on the victory of Jesus Christ, of justification in him, and then it starts to look forward to heaven. 
And what it speaks about here is about a life of pilgrimage. A life of pilgrimage that, that faces the challenges of this world. And so often it, it leaves us maybe wondering, what is happening? What is God doing in my life? We tend to be confused spiritually, and we look at the surroundings, and we're, just, we're not quite sure. And in the meantime, we struggle against our own sinful hearts and our ignorance. And it is here where Paul meets us. And he speaks to the believer. And he says the Holy Spirit is helping you in your prayers. These infirmities that we have, these weaknesses, are a result of the fall. And sometimes we might be in a situation where we're wondering, what do I even pray for at this point? Maybe you're confused. Or maybe it could be so bad, that, that so spiritually depressed, that you, cannot even, you don't even know how to pray anymore. But at the same time, the Holy Spirit is at work in your heart, stirring these deep longings for God. And in these moments, all that comes out is maybe just a sigh or a sob. But then it says that the Holy Spirit is praying with groanings which cannot be uttered. That does not mean that the Holy Spirit is praying with things that cannot be expressed. No, it is your groaning and your sighs that have been stirred by the Holy Spirit, which he himself then takes up and expresses them in words before the Father. The Holy Spirit is at work in your heart to sanctify your prayers. How do we know that? Well, this you read in verse 27. And he that searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And children, who is the one that searches your heart? Who is the one that knows your heart, that knows your desires? It's God, right? God knows what lives in your heart. He understands your thoughts afar off, as what Psalm 139 says. And when God looks at the heart of a believer, what he sees there is the work of the Holy Spirit. As the Holy Spirit is stirring those longings for God, those desires to be like God, to follow him, to obey him. And he sees the purposes of the Holy Spirit as he is sanctifying your prayers and increasingly transforming your prayers so that they are uttered in accordance with his will. So what you see in these two verses is that the Holy Spirit is helping you in your prayers. He is interceding with you. But then we go to the other end of the passage, the very end, and where we see what we see here is God fulfilling his purposes in your heart by Christ's intercession for you. This we read in verse 33 where it begins. It says, Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies. So Paul's asking a rhetorical question here. Who charges the elect? Who can successfully bring a case against the elect? Maybe you're thinking, well, Satan? My conscience? But it's not the answer that Paul gives. Paul moves on to something else. He says, think about it. 
Who's charging the elect? It is God who justifies. And if God is justifying, if God, the ultimate authority, justifies, who can successfully charge the elect? Who can successfully accuse you of anything? But that raises, of course, the question, how can God justify? And this we read in verse 34. Who is he that condemns? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Again, the rhetorical question, who is he that condemns? Paul says, think about it. Well, the one that condemns is ultimately the judge. The judge condemns. Or the judge sets you free. Who is the judge, says Paul? It's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the one who will judge all mankind. But if you're a child of God, then this judge has paid the ransom for your sins himself. He died, Paul says. And then he quickly adds, he says, he was also raised again. That means that the Father has accepted that payment. And then Jesus Christ ascended into heaven to be seated at the right hand of God the Father. And it is there, in his human nature, where he is pleading and interceding for you. No doubt, showing the wounds in his hands and in his side, which is the basis of your salvation. And there he is, making intercession for you. And he's praying for you that you would be upheld. He's praying for your complete redemption. It's not as if you've been saved from the wrath of God and now everything is fine. You still need to be upheld throughout your life to be sanctified in order to be brought into his presence in glory. And that is why Jesus continues to pray for you every single moment of the day. So we've seen, therefore, how the Holy Spirit is at work in your heart that when you struggle with prayer, that he's nevertheless there sanctifying your prayers and making your prayers more and more in accordance with his will. And then we see Jesus Christ, who is the judge, but who nevertheless paid the ransom for your sins, who is now interceding for you to be upheld. The Holy Spirit is praying with you. Christ is in heaven praying for you. Therefore, all these weaknesses and all these infirmities within you, and all these accusations of your conscience and of Satan that come against you cannot thwart God's purposes for you as he is at work in your heart. So maybe by now you're thinking, well, that's everything that's happening within me. That's my spiritual life. What about everything that comes at me from the outside? Everything that influences my life? Our circumstances. And that brings us to our second point. God fulfilling his purpose in life's circumstance. And then our passage tells us first again that God's purpose of working all things is good, is for the good of all believers. And this we read in this well-known verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. We know, says Paul, 
And the word that's being used here speaks of a certain knowledge, an assured knowledge. We know for sure, for all the things that we're ignorant about, for all the things that we don't understand, for all the things that we don't have an explanation for, Paul says, we do know this for sure, that all things... What does he mean by all things? All things that happen to us. All things that influence our lives, one way or another. He gives us a list, verse 38 and 39, of the general, the general things, the general events in your life, the kind of things that, that you maybe read about in the newspaper or on your social media feed, the things that may not always affect you directly, but it does influence your life to some extent. He speaks about death, life, angels, principalities, powers, things present, things to come, height, depth, or any creature. And you can keep adding to this list. COVID-19, political turmoil, persecution of Christians abroad, war in Ukraine and other places. We read about these things, we hear about them, and we wonder, what is the world coming to? Is God still in charge? That's included in the old things, but the old things also include the things that affect us very personally, the things that really tend to test our faith. Verse 35 speaks tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword. And again, you can add to these lists when you face cancer, marital issues, being fired from your jobs, and yes, even a church split. All these things, Paul says, all these things, well, what about all these things? Work together for good. They work together for good to them that love God. God lovers. To them who are the called. Called for His purpose. Do you believe it? If you love God, do you believe that all things work together for your good? All things. How can that be? It's because all things are included in the benefits of Christ's atoning work. We can read it in verse 31, where it says, What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? What shall we say to these things? That, that refers back to the old things of verse 28. What are we going to say? Again, this is a rhetorical question. Are we going to complain? Are we going to despair? Are we going to take matters in our own hands? But then Paul adds, if God is for you, who can be against you? And you might add, what can be against you? He's putting our perspective straight again, isn't it? It's not our response to these things that matter so much. 
He says, think about it. If God is for you, then what can be against you? But that raises the question, how can we know then that God is for us? Well, the answer is given to us in verse 32. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Paul is really emphasizing here that God the Father did not hold back his son. He gave him. He gave to us Christ, that which was most precious to him, he gave to us. And Paul says, think about that. If God the Father did not hold back his son, but gave him to us, how shall he also not, with Jesus Christ, give us all things? Now, all things doesn't necessarily mean absolutely everything that this world contains. Notice that it's speaking here, how shall he also not with him graciously give us all things? That means that everything that you have and everything that you are and everything that influences your life is ultimately a gift of God that he gives to you in Jesus Christ as part of the redemption that he gave to you. That means that everything that is given to you by God in your life is necessary for your complete salvation. And again, when we speak of salvation, it's not just the escape from the wrath of God. We need to be saved from ourselves also. God sanctifies you in this life, and He transforms you in order to bring you into His presence. And all things... God is giving you is driving towards that full, complete redemption. And that also means that if God withholds something from you, then that thing that He's withholding from you would be the very thing that would hinder your salvation. So we walk around in life and we look, well, somebody else might be driving a nicer car than we have or living in a bigger house or Maybe God withholds from us health, wealth, prosperity. Then those would be the things that in His wisdom He has determined would hinder our salvation, our complete salvation. So that is the true meaning of that verse 28. That verse 28, that often gets quoted in isolation. Because if we think that health, wealth, and prosperity is our definition of good then life makes no sense when we face trials and temptations. But when we see it from the perspective of our salvation, as a gift of God, together with Jesus Christ and His sacrifice for us, then everything makes sense. The positive and the negative. So if God did not spare His only Son, but gave Him up to pour out his wrath upon him for our sins, that we may know that in his providence, he also makes sure that everything else that happens is for your good, which is your salvation. If you love God, nothing can separate you from his love. 
So here we've seen what God is doing in your spiritual life. We've seen what he's doing in your external life, everything that influences your life. How is he doing it? This we, read, this, this we will see in our third point. God fulfilling his purpose through our election. What is he doing as he's at work in our life? As he's working everything towards our salvation? It's this. His purpose is to conform us into the image of his son. This we read in verse 29a, the first part. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestine to be conformed to the image of his son. Children, maybe you've read in the Bible about knowing somebody. Abram knew his wife. And maybe somebody's explained to you what that, what that really means is to, to really love somebody. You can't really love somebody unless you know them really well. So when it says here in this verse that God did foreknow his people, it means that he loved them from eternity past. And Paul says, whom God loved from eternity past, them he also predestined them. It's a difficult word, but it means that God, as it were, set the destination of his people. He planned your destination. You are going to be with him in paradise if you are his child. Now these two things, God loving his people from eternity past and predestinating them from eternity past, are absolute sovereign acts. Because God did them in eternity past, before he created the world. Why are those sovereign? Because there was nobody there with God to influence his decision. That means that those decisions that God made are absolutely unchangeable. But that means that the purpose for making those decisions is also equally unchangeable. And what does Paul say? He, pre- he chose you, he loved you, he predestined you to be conformed to the image of his Son. You will be made like Jesus Christ. Well, maybe you look at your own life and you think, is that really happening? There's still so much sin within me. Still so many shortcomings. And every single time I look at my life, it feels like I'm taking steps back rather than forward. Are we really being transformed into the image of His Son? Yes, we are. God is fulfilling his purpose because he is determined in his sovereignty. You are being conformed to the image. He elected you to be conformed to the image of his son and therefore it's happening in order to bring you into his presence. Because we can continue reading in verse 30. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. So on display, you have this glorious plan of redemption. Paul began with it in verse 29 about foreknowledge, and he, and he continues the list here. 
predestination, justification, and then glorification. From beginning to end, eternity past, it's realized in your life, and it will be fulfilled in the future. But notice that the, that the focus here is on what God is doing. This is about what God is doing, not about what we bring about. Not about our striving to be Christ-like, but about what God is doing in our lives to make it happen. And these, these links in the chain of the plan of redemption are so sure that when you read this verse, you see that every single one of those verbs is in the past tense, including glorification. He has glorified, as if, as if it already happened, even though from our perspective we know that that's, that's yet to come. But because these are God's decisions, this is part of God's plan, this is a secure reality. Your glorification is already a secure reality. So when we look at our lives and, and we wonder how can we be made more Christ-like, then know that God is going to do it in your life in order to bring you home. Because God's purpose for all things is to conform us into the image of Christ in order to fulfill that plan of redemption and bring you into his presence. So here we see how God is at work using everything, even your spiritual weaknesses, and your inability to pray or to pray rightly, and everything that comes at you, everything that influences your life, he's using it to conform you into the image of his son in order to bring you home. The last question is this, why? Why is he doing it? And that brings us to our fourth point, God fulfilling his purpose for Christ. In the latter part of verse 29, we read that he might be among many brethren. Brethren, here it speaks about a fraternal relationship with Jesus Christ. It does not speak about slaves or even about children, but about brothers and sisters. Such a close relationship with Jesus Christ. And then it speaks of many Brethren, a great multitude which no man could number is what we read in Revelation 7. Is that the purpose of all things? That Jesus Christ might be in heaven surrounded by all these beautiful Christians, having been made conformed to his image, having been made like Christ, people that are all like-minded, having fellowship with one another. Indeed, that is a beautiful thing when God gathers in his saints from all over the world, people that at some times were supposed to be enemies. People that, who knows, today, Ukrainian and Russian Christians meeting in heaven. People from all walks of life having fellowship in heaven, loving each other and loving Christ. That is a beautiful thing and it's a beautiful reality of eternity, but there is a higher purpose still. 
And it is this, that Jesus Christ may receive all honor and glory. When it says here that he might be the firstborn, that he is emphasized. This is about Jesus Christ. And what about Jesus Christ? That he might be the firstborn. To be the firstborn, especially in this ancient society, was a position of honor, of preeminence. Children, if you were the oldest son in a family in in ancient Israel, you were the most important one. If the parents came to pass away, you would receive double the inheritance, twice as much as your brothers and sisters. But with that honor also came great responsibility. If father and mother came to pass away, it was your duty to take care of your family, of your brothers and sisters. If you read, for example, the parable of the prodigal son, the younger son ran away. It was essentially the task of the oldest brother to go after his younger brother, to bring him back and to reconcile him with his father after what he had done to him. And we know that that older brother miserably failed. But not Jesus. Jesus Christ was the true elder brother. When we rebelled against God, he came into this world, took our flesh upon himself, and sacrificed himself for us so that we might be reconciled with God the Father He truly is that great elder brother. And because of that sacrifice, we as believers can be again adopted into the family of God and be called brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ. And then it says that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. He shall be surrounded by all his people, indeed. But what he is going to see in every single one of those believers is a reflection of his own glory. It is God's purpose to make you like Christ. Yet every single one of you in his own unique way You all have some testimony of how the Lord came into your life and how he transformed your life, what he's been doing in your life, and how he's been using everything to make you more like Christ. And yet all of us in his image, like him. The point is that we are destined to glorify God. Him. And what we see here, what we see here is that the glorification of the Son, Jesus Christ, in the saints, in the believers, 
is the ultimate manifestation of the Father's love. The Father's love, not so much for us believers, but for the Son, for Jesus Christ. Children, God the Father loves the Son. And because He loves the Son, He wants to glorify the Son. And that's why Jesus had to come into this world to rescue His bride, to rescue believers, so that we may give all glory to Him forever and ever in eternity. And that is the only reason why your salvation as a believer is secure. Because if God in eternity past would have looked at our lives and pick us, select us for anything in us, there would be no hope. But Jesus Christ has set his love upon his people. And because God the Father wants to glorify the Son, you've been elected. You will be conformed into his image and be brought home to glorify him. Indeed, we shall be glorified in it. We shall be more than conquerors, but it does not end with us. That purpose goes through us and ends with him, with Jesus Christ. That's God's ultimate purpose for everything. And what does that mean to us personally in our lives? First of all, we need to realize that the good purpose of all things is ultimately about Him and not about us. Are you willing to accept that? And that's easier said than done because by nature we are wired to make everything about ourselves. We put ourselves in the spotlight. We like to please ourselves, honor ourselves. And even as believers, we can still have a tendency to do so in very subtle ways sometimes. But we must strive to make our whole lives about Jesus Christ. It means that every single time we notice ourselves giving glory to ourselves, step out of that spotlight and make our lives about Jesus. Glorify Him with our words and with our deeds. Is that your desire? To make it not about self, but about Him. And if that is the case, then do you also want to be conformed to His image? Do you want to be made like Jesus Christ? Is that really your desire? Do you really want to be made like Christ? What is it? What is it that you obsess about? What is it that's on the forefront of your mind? If it's not conformity to Jesus Christ, then whatever else is in there, the concerns of daily life, the concerns for the future, take it away. And let your obsession be to be made like Jesus Christ. Let that be in the forefront of your prayers. If you are a true believer, 
Because that is God's purpose for you. It should be your purpose in life. To be made like Jesus Christ. And if that is your desire, and if that is your prayer, then you have great reason to rejoice. Because we have just read and we have just considered that God is using everything in your life, everything that happens to you, everything that you have, everything that befalls you, is purposed to make you more like Jesus Christ. The challenge to recognize it when it happens. Maybe we understand that in the, in the big important events of our lives, God is using those things to make us more like Jesus. In the positive and in the negative. We understand how marriage transforms us. How having children transforms us in the image of Christ, if you are a believer. We also understand how the, the great trials in life transforms us into the image of Christ. As hard as this may be to acknowledge, and, and maybe we won't always be able to express that, the Bible speaks about that, but we've seen people suffer months, years on end, and yet realizing their dependence on God and tasting of the love of Christ in those dark situations to the point where after that they would say, if you would do it all again, would you want to go through this? And they probably would. The challenge more often, I would believe, comes in to recognize that God is using all things in your life to transform you into His image in the little things, in the daily nuisances. We just got back from a long trip. And just a couple of days ago, we arrived and we found out that our garage door opener broke. It's a pretty expensive repair. Believing that God is in charge of all things, we must confess that this too was part of his plan. Why did he do it? Why did he do it? Was it to chastise us for something that maybe we should be corrected in? Possibly. We may be ignorant about this for the rest of our lives. I believe there will come a day in eternity when we'll know for sure what he was doing in this particular instance. But I do know this. For all the things that I don't know, I do know this. He's used it to make us more like Christ. And that goes for every single one of you if you're a true believer. Maybe you drive home, somebody's going to cut you off. Or your children start fighting over something. Children, maybe you wake up with a headache. Maybe one of your friends are not being nice to you in school. Whatever it is. And sometimes you just get this accumulation of things, right? 
you have one of those days where just everything that can go wrong does go wrong, and you experience what the world would call a bad day. If you're a child of God, he's using it to conform you into the image of his son. Our challenge is to recognize it when it happens. And this challenge is for all of us, myself included. In the moment, when you wake up with something that seems so senseless, like a headache or a car breaking down or a sudden unexpected repair bill, trials in the family, issues at work, the air conditioning not working in the heat of the summer. Before you complain to your friends, your spouses, your family, before you plaster all over social media just how bad our lives is, pause and give God thanks for the very trial that he is sending your way in order to conform you to the image of his son. That's what the apostles did when they were whipped. They came out rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for their Savior. That's our calling in life, to be conformed to the image of his son recognizing it when he is doing it in our lives. And that's difficult. But if you're not a true believer, maybe you're starting to be a little uncomfortable now, and and I hope you are. Because by now, maybe you come to realize that being a good, nominal Christian is not enough. Most of nominal Christians is fine with God, is fine with the blessings of God, as long as we can keep him on an arm's length. But what this truth tells us, if it's all about Jesus Christ, then every little detail of your life must be made subject to him. Everything. This is no longer about just the blessings. This is about God owning you and making your life all about Christ. And if you do not want that, if you have no desire whatsoever to be conformed to the image of the Son, then you are still outside of His kingdom. And what that means is that all these glorious truths that we've discussed from his word do not apply to you. Instead, the very opposite applies. It means that the Holy Spirit is not sanctifying your prayers. He's not at work in your heart. And it means that Jesus Christ is not interceding for you. 
And it means that all things, all things are working together for your condemnation as long as you remain outside of Him. But know this, that Jesus Christ will still be glorified. Do you desire to have these blessings? Then you must go to Him in repentance and faith. Surrender your whole life to Him. Because blessed are you if with all your failures and with all your shortcomings, you can tell in honesty, you can confess to the Lord, Lord, you knowest all things. Thou knowest that I want to subject my whole life to Thee. Thou knowest that I want to be made more like Christ. And that sin would be no more. Thou knowest that I want to crucify the flesh for Thy name's sake. Blessed are you if you have made Jesus Christ Lord over all your life because you can confidently say everything happens for a reason. Everything happens for a good reason for me also. And it is this, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Amen. Sovereign Lord and Father in heaven. We thank thee so much for thy Son, Jesus Christ. Father, help us to subject all things to him, our whole lives, everything in it, everything that we have, Father, we have no reason to complain or be dissatisfied. If we are in Christ, we know, Lord, we have everything we need. Father, help us to subject and help us to bow to him. And for those who are outside of Jesus Christ, O Lord, we pray that that would stir their hearts to yearn after thee, to long to be reconciled with thee, that these blessings also may be theirs and that they too may be transformed into the image of his Son, thy Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, will thou be with us for the remainder of this day. Apply these hearts, these words unto our hearts. Father, take away that which is of men. Take away all glory from men. And Lord, use that which was thine to apply these truths into our hearts and to live them out also in the coming week and for the rest of our lives, subjecting all things to Thee. Please be with us through the remainder of this day. Help us to rejoice in this Sabbath day and bring us safely again into Thy house tonight. And Lord, take none of us away unprepared. Father, in all these things we pray, glorify the Son, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen.